Well, good morning. Thanks for being here today. Um, I look forward to what God might do here. Um, we go through Kings and Prophets, and today we're going to talk about Hezekiah and Isaiah, focused mostly on Isaiah. In 1970, in L.A., there was a news story that broke that there had been a young lady who had been kept in isolation and captivity for 13 years. She was born into a family who kept her in a dark room with three inches of light at the top of the window for 13 years. At nights, she was kept in a cage. It was a wire cage with a wire lid, and during the daytime, all day long, she was strapped to a potty chair. And when she was rescued at 13 years old, she was the size of a seven-year-old and couldn't speak. She had no words and no vocabulary. When they went into her room, they couldn't believe. There were no toys. There were no clothes. There was nothing to indicate that a child was living there at all. Her mom and her brother had been ordered to not speak to her. Though she had family around and though the world was going on around her, none of the neighbors were aware of her presence at all. And the people in the home in which she lived who were supposed to encourage love and guide and, and guard and grow her didn't say a word. She was completely isolated. And I got to thinking about that. I got to think of what that does to a person's mind. When she was rescued and brought into freedom, it was amazing the progress that she made. She was not stunted. She was not mentally disabled. She began to learn and grow. She was hindered developmentally. And I started thinking about what captivity does to a person. I've never been in captivity. I don't know what that's like. I've never been held like that. I've never been in prison I would not begin to even imagine or speak about what it's like because I've not experienced it. We have brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We have people all over the world who are dealing with this today. I do know what bondage and captivity because of my sin is like. I do know that. And it's actually not dissimilar to what happens to a person who is held in captivity physically. And the emotional and the psychological drain and the effects that it has on us. When we sit in darkness, where we can see the light, but it's inaccessible. Where we feel like the world is going on around us, but we are bound in our place. I know what that is like. I know what it's like to wonder, why me? I know what it's like to be helpless and hopeless and not feel like I will ever get out of the circumstance that I'm in. I know what that is like. I cannot speak to what this is like. But I think that we all, at some point in our lives, understand what bondage to our sin is. A lot of you are sitting here because you've been freed from that. You've actually been rescued from that. And remembering that is almost painful, isn't it? Understanding what it's like to be hindered and isolated from relationships because of our sin. And what we're going to talk about today is no different. 
See, the whole Bible is, talks about people held captive and in bondage who need rescue, and then there's a rescuer offered in what freedom is like. And freedom is hard, right? When you've been kept in the darkness for a long time to come out into that place of light and to really be uncomfortable and try to understand how to move forward, it's hard. This is the story of Hezekiah and Isaiah. This is where we find ourselves today. And I think it's really, really important that we pay attention because it may help us direct our prayers differently for our brothers and sisters who are suffering today, right? And it will help us remember what has happened for us who are walking free. And maybe for somebody in the room, it will offer a way to freedom today. That would be my hope. That if somebody is held captive by their sin, that today they would understand there is a rescuer who is trustworthy and real and available right now. Captivity messes our head up, right? There's these voices that play into it of worthlessness, right? Fear and intimidation are the tactic of the enemy, of oppressors and people who would try to keep a person down right? The only reason a person would stay in a circumstance, right? When the window is open or when to stay in bondage is because of fear and intimidation. And the voice is the same from the beginning of time. It is the same in Hezekiah's time. It's the same thing that our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and around the world and in our city are dealing with. And it is also what you and I are being told when we are bound in our sin. And today we're going to find hope And it's hope that is told in Isaiah 53, which is where we'll land, but I want to give a little context to where we are. In Hezekiah's day, he was a good king. He trusted in the Lord. He took care of a lot of things in his time. And you can go and read about it, 2 Kings 18 to 20. You can read all about it. I want you to do that. Please go and read those things. Hezekiah became ill at one point, prayed. God answered his prayer, gave him 15 more years. Pretty cool stuff. Towards the end of his reign, though, envoys from Babylon came and wanted to see the place. And so he showed them around. Everything that he had, he showed them. When Isaiah approached him about it, he said, I didn't, everything, everything that's mine, everything that I've been given, I showed him. He said, and everything that there is will be taken into captivity to Babylon. And then we, the end of the story, we're like, what? Now, Isaiah spoke, was a, was a, appear at the time, he spoke into Hezekiah's reign. And he spoke about the captivity of Babylon and the rescue from that 150 years before it took place. So he told them, hey, you're going into Babylon. And then Babylon happened 150 years later and they were in captivity for 70 years. 70 years. And in Isaiah, what we see in chapters 1 to 39 is really an emphasis of God's judgment on his people due to their sin and rebellion, right? And this is what holds us captive too. My sin and my rebellion has caused me to be bound and held captive, living in darkness for a long, long time. Isaiah 40 to 66, though, sounds this different note, and it's a note of hope, and forgiveness, 
and rescue. And a, a funny thing, Isaiah 53 specifically is either quoted or referred to at least 85 times in the New Testament. And it's important that we know this because you have the Old Testament stories and it's like, oh, that's cool history. And then you have the New Testament. We see all this stuff going on. And like, this is great, but how do they tie together? Isaiah 53, we find ourselves in the middle between the old and the new to understand that captivity is not the end of the story, but that there is rescue and redemption to be found. I'm going to give you one story here during Hezekiah's, Hezekiah's reign. It's found in Isaiah chapter 36. The king of Assyria decides to threaten Jerusalem, and he sends a commander to the people to threaten them. This is what he says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and you speak of your power, but on whom are you depending that you rebel against me? You hear that voice? throwing into question who they've put their confidence in, throwing into question where they find their confidence. Does that voice sound familiar to you? Think about Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Throwing into question that they'd put their trust and hope in God to obey what he said and the devil came in to sow doubt into them. Verse eight, come now, make a bargain with me. Good old devil, he's about as dumb as a, as a bag of rocks. He's not creative, and he, he's he, the same thing over and over and over and over again. So doubt, try to get us to make a deal with him. Did the same thing to Jesus in the desert. It's the same package, right? It's the same package. It's just wrapped a little different. And then he goes on in verse 13, he says, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Don't let the... Hezekiah persuades you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will be given into our hands. How often have you been confronted? God's not going to do this. God can't save you. God's not strong enough, powerful enough, or more uh, trustworthy enough. Why are you putting your hope into him? See, when we're in bondage, when we are berated that way, it's hard to believe, isn't it? And this is what they threatened him with, fear and intimidation. Don't let Hezekiah, verse 18, mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. And they bring into question all the gods of the other nations, little g. None of those other gods did it. You know why, though? Because they weren't the true living God. And Hezekiah did well to prompt his people not to answer. And we come to Isaiah after prophesying about the captivity in Babylon, we come to Isaiah 53. They'd heard the voice of intimidation. They'd been taken into captivity, and we find ourselves in a similar place, sometimes in darkness, wondering if God can be trusted. Now, I don't know about you when you think about a rescuer, right? People need to be rescued. What do you see? What's the picture in your head? Most guys in the room right now, I know exactly what you're thinking because it's got fatigues on and like the night vision and all the coolest stuff, right? And there's like a thousands of them and they're coming in guns a blazing, kick down the door, blow up the place, take the ring, we go to the helicopters, we fly home, dun, 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 and we get a parade at the end and it's like, heck yeah, oh! And all the guys are like, yes! See, that's the picture of a strong rescuer, strong and mighty. Isaiah speaks of the rescuer that's 
coming for Israel, but coming for the whole world. Here's the picture it was painted. Who's believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their phases, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Huh? No beauty or majesty. He wasn't the tallest, the strongest, or the prettiest. In fact, he was despised and rejected. People esteemed him not. They did not elevate him, but they pushed him down. Do you know why this is important? Because when you need rescuing, you want to know that somebody can see you where you are. You want to know that somebody can empathize with your sorrow and suffering. You want to understand that the one who's going to reach into your world isn't going to be harsh or unfeeling. And because Jesus was familiar with suffering, he's perfect for those who are in captivity. Verse four, surely he took up our infirmities. I want you to pay attention to the he and the our. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. All, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Very interesting, huh? The us and the him. All the things that he did, we deserved. My iniquity, my transgression, my sin, my pain, my sorrow, my suffering. He took all of that on him was despised and rejected, afflicted by God. Verse seven, he was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth and led and was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before her shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. By oppression that I created and by the judgment that I deserve, he was taken away. Does it click at all? what he deserved and what I deserve, what we deserve and how he rescued us. He literally rescued us by giving himself over to the captivity so that we could be free. You can write a note if you want. First Peter chapter two, verses 23. It's a great cross reference here. It says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. It's a great section of scripture. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Isn't it interesting how a righteous man was assigned a grave with the wicked when that's where I deserve? See, I know what my sin gets me. My grave deserves to be in a trash heap. No marker, no ceremony, nothing. I know that's what I deserve. I know that's what I've earned. Now, I know that we live in a land of everybody gets a trophy and everybody feels like they deserve heaven even though they didn't earn it. I know what I earned. 
but he was assigned the grave with the wicked. It's important that we hear this. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, even though he did nothing wrong. It says, and though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. After the suffering due to my sin and transgression, he will see the light of life. What Isaiah is talking about is the resurrection. He's talking about the coming savior, what he will accomplish and how he will accomplish it, and then what that means. He will actually come back to life. It says that he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge and righteous servant. He will justify many and will bear their iniquities. Therefore, verse 12, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I like how Isaiah 42 says it because it talks about what he accomplished we see what he did and why he did it, but what does that mean? Isaiah 42 says, here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice and will not falter or be discouraged. Verse six says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I'll take you by your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant to the people and a light for the Gentiles. If you are not a Jew, if you are not Jewish, if you're not a part of the nation of Israel, which this was written for, you'd be like, oh, dang, that sounds great for them. But what you need to realize is that it's not just for the nation of Israel then, it's for you now as a Gentile believer. Because he's adopted us into his family through Jesus. So this promise, you can be certain, is for you too. It doesn't matter your family history. It doesn't matter your um, background. It doesn't matter if all the people in your life are murderers, thieves, and sinners, this is still for you. Because none of those things can take away what he did. And then he says this. <laughs> and a light to the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And just like that sweet 13-year-old child, Jeannie, he rescues us from darkness, opens our blind eyes, and gives us freedom. And he did it bearing your sin and mine. He did it by taking on what we deserve, being numbered again, among the transgressors and the sinners so that we might have life. I'm grateful that Isaiah 53 wasn't just for the nation of Israel in Babylonian captivity, but for the whole world for all time. You know, our sin, our sin hinders our spiritual development. You might look like a 43-ish year old, whatever, but if, if we're in bondage, we don't, it's, it stunts our growth. 
When we're in captivity, we can't see the world going on around us. We become isolated, lonely, and we question because of that lying, fearful, intimidating voice that you're worthless and that you don't have a way forward. That's not true. It's just not true. If you are in that space where you are questioning, why me? Is there hope? How do I go forward? Is there anybody who sees me? The answer is emphatically yes. The answer is emphatically your captivity is not the end of your story. Because there is rescue and there is redemption offered through Jesus Christ. Bring these things together. Luke chapter four. You can turn or you can listen. This is one of my favorite moments. Jesus goes to church, right? He's in the synagogue as he would go and do. And he'd sit there and he stood up to speak. And the attendant goes and he hands him, gives him a scroll. You know what the scroll was? Isaiah. So it's not like he's flipping the pages. He's like, that's what a scroll sounds like when it unravels. In case you're wondering. <laughs> it says he stood up to read and he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. To give sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Mic drop. And then he just sat there. <laughs> he sits there and he waits and he waits. And it says, when all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, he waited. He knew what he was doing. Classic Jesus. It says this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, the rescuer is sitting in your church. Today, the salvation you are hoping for is here. Today, the one who will redeem you and give you sight and give you freedom and give you hope and give you a future and save you from your sin is sitting in your church. And most of them missed it. Most of them missed it. I wonder if Jesus was sitting in our church if we'd miss it. Spirit of the Lord. And in that moment, he made it clear that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 and 61 and every other prophecy of the coming Savior. Who are we waiting for, for rescue? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to hear these. I want you to listen. Who are you waiting for? Who are you hoping will rescue you? Who are you putting your trust and your hope in? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And finally, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Freedom is found in Jesus Christ alone. The rescue that we seek and we hope for can be trusted because not only is it said to you now, but it's been said from the beginning of time. It was said to the nation of Judah and Israel. It was said to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, in China, North Korea, and everywhere else that they are in captivity due to their faith. They're not even in captivity due to their sin. And yet the rescuer is the same. Because whether it is sorrow, suffering, pain, sin, or anything else on the earth, Jesus is still our rescuer. So what do we do? How do we walk free? I'm going to do you a solid. I got you an acronym for today. I had a little extra time. I want you to write these down. Free. God tells us over and over in the face of the yelling lies that say help won't come through God. He says, fear not. In the face of the accusations and despair, he tells us to fear not. Fear not. God is actually mighty to save. The R is to run to Jesus. I know this is always the answer, but it's just actually the answer. Rescue and redemption come through him alone. He says, if you'll come to me, you'll find rest. If you come to me, if you submit to me, if you surrender to me, you find freedom because I've already done it at the cross and through the resurrection. He came to give us a future and a hope and a family to belong to. Fear not, run to Jesus. The first is to engage in his purpose for your life. Once you're rescued, don't you know that you have more? He gives us life. He didn't rescue us just to sit on the sidelines and watch the world go by. He called us to engage, to tell the story of Jesus to people at the taco shop, to people at the gas station, to people on the, in the bleachers at your sports events, in the dance studio. Uh, I don't know. Every time you wake up with every person he puts in front of you, whether it's five seconds or five years or 50 years, you get to engage in a grand purpose of lifting up the name of Jesus, which is the last, the exalt the name of Jesus. It's a great churchy word that starts with E. I couldn't come up with another one. Exalt means to lift up to raise up above every other name that you engage in your purpose and you do it by exalting the name of Jesus, who is the actual fix and the actual rescue and the one who overcomes darkness and sin and fear. Fear not, run to Jesus, engage in his purpose for your life and exalt the name of Jesus. I wonder what your life would look like and my life would look like if we walked free, if we stopped listening to those lies that keep us bound and captive, and we took the difficult step of trusting that we can go with him, that when he reaches out his hand to say, I'm what you're looking for, that we would do the other side and reach out and say, okay. It's scary, God. I don't understand. I don't know. All I'm hearing is that you're not trustworthy. It's okay. Fear not. Okay. As we take those steps, we come to understand the rescue is real. 
that freedom is at hand. Isaiah talked about it. Jesus fulfilled it. The question is only will we accept and receive that and do that with him? Will we go with him? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the freedom we have in Jesus. God, I would ask that as we enter into a time of prayer, Lord, we'd be mindful of our brothers and sisters who are suffering, who may lose their life today because they have reached out and taken hold of your rescuing hand. We pray for their rescue, their physical rescue, God. And if it is your will, Father, that they might lose their life for the name of Jesus, we know that you will be pleased to receive them into eternity with you and that their life was for not for nothing. God, I pray that a revival would break out and that the captors would come to know Jesus, that they would know the saving hand of Jesus and that they would begin to fear not and to run to you and to engage in their purpose and to exalt the name of Jesus where they are. And I pray that evil would be overcome with your life 